nobody accomplishes a hard goal that requires grit alone. Grit is a we. Grit is a we approach. People don't achieve hard things in silos. Now, people with grit often can do hard work alone. They don't need prompts and cheerleaders, but nobody achieves things alone, which is a piece of why who's around you is so important. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Caroline Adams-Miller. Caroline is one of the world's leading experts on the science behind successful goal setting and the use of good grit to achieve hard things. As a pioneer in the self-help and positive psychology worlds, Caroline was one of the first 32 people to achieve the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology degrees from the University of Pennsylvania. She graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University and has taught at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School's Executive Education Program. Caroline has written eight books to date, including Creating Your Best Life, which is known as the first mass market self-help book on the science of happiness and how it intersects with the science of accomplishing goals. Martin Seligman, who's known as the father of positive psychology, has lauded Caroline's scholarship in his book Flourish, noting that she'd added a major missing piece to the world of coaching because of her groundbreaking and evidence-based connection between positive psychology and goal success. So Caroline, can I start today by asking you about your obvious passion for positive psychology and goal setting and this very sometimes elusive topic called happiness. Where did all that come from? Oh, that's a big question. First of <laughs> all, thanks for having me. I became entranced by positive psychology back in 2003 when I had training as an executive coach, but was really disappointed by the fact that there was no evidence-based approach to being a coach. And then Authentic Happiness came out by Marty Seligman, and I realized mm. it was just made for me. It was like catnip. I had, And then Time Magazine had a cover story on happiness, the science of happiness. And embedded in that article is this tiny, tiny little paragraph saying that this master's program was starting at the University of Pennsylvania for 32 men and women from all over the world. And I just knew in my bones, I had to get there because I knew on some level, A, it would change my life. 
B, my clients needed it. C, I needed it more than anybody else because because of the backstory even before being a coach. So I rolled the dice and I got in and nothing's been the same since then. When you say the backstory before you became a coach, could you share a little bit of that with us? Sure. In 1988, the first autobiography ever published on recovery from bulimia was my book. I wrote the book, My Name is Caroline. I wrote it because at the time, there was no recovery known of for people like me. I was in my seventh year of bulimia, went to Harvard, graduated magna cum laude, had a lot of talent and success, but it was a billboard. I was a billboard with literally nothing substantive behind this pretty face and swimming accomplishments and enough intelligence to pull some things together and look good. and. The eating disorder was my secret, and I knew there was no one who had recovered. I knew there was no place to go to recover. I knew a lot about bulimia, but I hit my last bottom in February of 1984, and through the grace of God, truly, truly, there was a woman at a 12-step meeting for recovering compulsive eaters who stood up and told her story, and she said, and this is a pseudonym, my name is Betsy, and I'm recovering from bulimia one day at a time. And I really do believe my life started that month. Uh, that's when I grew up. That's when I discovered what happiness was, what goal setting was, what good mm-hmm. goal setting was. I cultivated grit for the first time in my life. And because of that, everything took off. That book, My Name is Caroline, was like a bomb went off in my in my house. I have not stopped hearing from people at this point, hundreds of thousands of um, letters and calls and emails and the rest of it. But just to put a point on that, um, I became fascinated by uh, how did I do this very hard thing for which there were no exemplars of recovery? How did I do that hard goal and not only achieve it, but live to tell the story and then maintain recovery, unbroken mm-hmm. recovery for 40 years? How do you do hard things? How do you find what real happiness is? And how do you give it back? And that led me to positive psychology and coaching. And subsequently, the science of goal setting became really my bailiwick. Fabulous. I mean, I think Martin Selig, when he put it so well, he said, you know, in life, we can't change the experience, but we can change the explanation. And that was just flashing through my head as as I heard you sharing that, uh, that you've really grown from the adversity and the trauma of those early experiences? I have. I mean, there's some interesting, just yesterday, I read the most recent research on post-traumatic growth and how Mm -hmm. the research is a little sketchy. I would have called it post-traumatic growth before yesterday, but I do believe it made me a better person, a wiser person, a stronger person, a happier person. It helped me to put my blessings in context. And the most important thing that I learned was one of the meetings I was at, because I also got sober at the same time. So I haven't had a drink in 40 years. Somebody said, it's it's great that you're in recovery, Caroline, but you can't keep what you don't give away. Mm. And that's when the light bulb went off and that happiness and fulfillment didn't come from just me, me getting better. It was who could I turn around and pull with me? And so I take a systems approach to grit, to happiness, to recovery We have to do it together and we have to give away what other people have given us if we want to keep it. I think that's a wonderful idea, this this idea of service. And 
that it's not about me, as you said, it's it's about we, us together. Yeah. Everybody working sort of in collaboration and connection with each other. I know you're a real expert, Caroline, on the topic of goal setting. Yeah. So I'm really interested to learn more about that, you know, to learn a little bit about the science, the benefits. Yeah. Could you share a little bit about that with us? Oh, boy. All right. If I start to talk too much, you raise your hand. <laughs> I was exposed to the science of goal setting for the first time in the fall of 2005. That is when I went back to school in that very first class at Penn to get this master's of applied positive psychology. We were assigned goal setting theory by Locke and Latham. At that moment, I felt like the scales fell off my eyes. I didn't know there was a thing called goal setting theory. I didn't know that academia, starting in 1990, had this very well-proven evidence-based science to goal setting. And I thought I knew everything that needed to be known about goal setting. That was kind of the thing I was interested in. My great uncles won the Olympics in, in the Stockholm 1912 Olympics. I was fascinated by high performance and goal setting and then my own recovery. And I realized that there weren't any books on the market at all. Zero, as in zero, D-E-R-O, zero books on the market, mass market on goal setting that included a single bit of research or a footnote or an evidence-based approach to getting things done. That's when I realized the whole world had been sold urban legends. Smart goals is not goal-setting theory. OKRs and KPIs, they're not goal-setting theory. So my capstone at Penn became goal-setting theory and its connection to the science of happiness. And I just want to say one more thing about that. We can go into goal-setting theory and why it's so elegant and simple, but nuanced, and you have to understand it if you want to achieve anything. Just also, as I started school at Penn, a big meta-analysis came out from the top three people in the field, really, other than Marty, Laura King, Sonia Lubomirsky, and Ed Diener. And it was the biggest meta-analysis on success in life. And it was hundreds and hundreds of pieces of research on success in health, happiness, friendship, religion, professional, you name it, success. And it was longitudinal, self-report, didn't matter. It was very comprehensive. The finding was a slam dunk. The finding was that all success in life is preceded by being happy first. Mm-hmm. And that if you want to succeed at anything in life, you have to first address your emotional flourishing. And it would be unprofessional for me as a positive psychology expert to ever approach goal setting with anyone without first laying down the basis of the science of happiness. And so I connected that in in creating your best life. And that became the first evidence-based book on goal setting, which just got reissued in 2020. I want to say one more thing about goal setting, and then I'm going to be quiet. I do believe that anyone who really learns the science of goal setting will be a happier, less anxious, less depressed human being. Because I think this epidemic of our teens and young adults being overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, not feeling like they have any self-efficacy or mastery. And that's why they um, you know, quite often give up before they even get started. I think learning goal setting can save the world. And I think we have a crisis now because too many people are not pursuing hard goals. I think that's fascinating on many levels. I think, you know, goal setting is often seen as some sort of pseudoscience, part of this kind of the self-help movement, whereas you're talking about really the hard science and evidence behind setting goals. And and you also use the word hard goals, 
as yeah. opposed to things you can easily achieve. Could you talk yeah. about that? Yeah. So in the process of writing, creating your best life, I literally created a bunker because <laughs> I got this big advance from this publisher, Barnes and Noble. And I created a bunker where every every bit of research on success, motivation, et cetera, priming was stacked. And I, I found in the course of accumulating all of this research and going through it rigorously and putting it in creating your best life, that the happiest people wake up to hard goals, not easy goals. And I think that's worth pausing and looking at. Why do the happiest people wake up to hard goals? It's because people who set easy goals, which are also low goals in the research, low goals or even no goals, the happiest people wake up to hard goals because they're constantly having mastery experiences when their reach exceeds their grasp. Their self-esteem goes up the more they push themselves out of their comfort zone. If you only set mediocre goals, the research is quite clear. It doesn't build what's called authentic self-esteem. At the end of the day, we all scan our days for what we did that we're proud of. And we are not proud of the things we did that were mediocre or easy. And so we must wake up and ask ourselves daily what we're made of and go after those hard goals. And that's what led me to do my next book, Getting Grit, because I realized that if people are going to set goals and connect it to happiness and that hard goals are what bring the greatest joy in life, we have to understand and cultivate the quality of grit. And I wrote it only after. I studied the research for 10 years, talked to Angela Duckworth, who said the nicest things about my book. I'm very grateful. But I realized grit could be cultivated. And just to go back to the beginning of the interview, I cultivated grit in my 20s to overcome bulimia. I didn't have it until I hit my last bottom at the age of 22. Didn't have it. I had success. I had talent. I didn't have grit. I'd taken the easy way out a lot of times and skated by. And so once I had that goal, that hard goal, that was my goal, my life depended on it, that's when I cultivated the passion, the persistence, and the purpose to achieve this really hard thing. To this day, it's the thing I'm proudest of. Fantastic. And if somebody listening to this interview, Carlin, you know, they wanted to make some improvements in their life and, and they wanted to set some goals. and where might they start or how would you encourage them to obviously reading your your book, Creating Your Best Life? I mean, that's that that's a good place to start. But you know, beyond that, what are the practical action steps somebody could begin to take right now after listening to this podcast to begin to move in the direction of hard goals in their lives? Okay. So the very first thing I would say to people is what do you dream about? Even if you've never articulated it, what is your dream? Not what's your goal, what's your dream? Why? Because at Case Western University, there's been interesting research showing that when you ask about dreams, there's a different physiologic response where your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system kind of opens up and you're bathed in the hormones that allow you to think more expansively. So what's your dream? And then who believes in you? I think that the number one way that we can begin to accomplish our goals is by changing the people who are around us and making sure that the people who are around us are the ones who do this thing called active constructive responding. Hmm. They're curious and enthusiastic when they hear about our goals. 
God willing, they actually ask or are interested. That's another sign. But people need to know what is it that you dream of that's your goal, only your goal, not your parents' goals, your teachers' goals, your company's goals, you know, your culture's goals, your religion's goals. What is it that wakes you up in the morning, that Japanese word, ikigai? What do you wake up for that is your goal that you will regret not pursuing one day if you don't get started now? And then take a look at the people around you, because I think that spells success or failure more than anything else. So do I hear you saying that, you know, somebody needs to look at their associations, look at the influences in their life? Are they positive and encouraging as opposed to negative? Yes. And I think this is particularly true for women. And so my eighth book was about hashtag I have your back why women need to be in mastermind groups. And my mastermind group's about to assemble here at my beach house on the Delaware shores in in the United Mm -hmm. States, because women don't often get together and have each other's backs for all kinds of biological, linguistic, social, cultural issues. So women often undermine other women's successes and goals, quite often by going silent in the face of another woman's success, which is actually one of the cruelest ways that exist to mark someone else's happiness or behaviors, to throw them out of the tribe by not acknowledging them. But yes, I think both men and women have to take a look at who gets your attention? Whose emails do you do you read? Too many women actually have told me their mother doesn't believe in them. I wish I had a dollar for the how many times people have asked me, what if my mother doesn't have curiosity and enthusiasm? So quite often I think what we what we need to do is not be asleep at the wheel about who's in our life because just cuz someone's around you doesn't mean they should be around you or have the privilege of your company or your conversation. I think the house is on fire when it comes to, are you really going after the things that you're meant to do while you're here? And nobody accomplishes a hard goal that requires grit alone. Grit is a we. Grit is a we approach. People don't achieve hard things in silos. Now, people with grit often can do hard work alone. They don't need prompts and cheerleaders, but nobody achieves things alone, which is a piece of why who's around you is so important. And I'll say one more thing. I was very fortunate to have Chris Peterson as my capstone advisor and as one of the people who taught me every month at Penn. And he stopped our classes every month. And just basically said, okay, everybody just want to reiterate, no matter what research we're doing on joy, pride, awe, contentment, it always boils down to this one phrase, other people matter. He said it over and over, other people matter. Happiness is about other people matter. And so if you're going to accomplish hard goals, other people will matter. So take a look at who's around you. Fascinating. And If you were to start, do you ever feel it's too late, Caroline? If you're going to achieve hard goals, I mean, I presume hard goals are things that are going to take, I suppose, five years or longer, maybe a lifetime. I don't know. I mean, how long does does a hard goal take to achieve? Everyone's definition of hard is different. So I think hard is something that you're afraid you can't do. And that could be, I remember one of my clients was closing in on 60. She heard me on a radio show and she called me up and she said, until I heard you, I was marking time until it was too late for me to pursue my goals. And hard for her was buying a computer and turning it on. And then 
the rest is history, right? But it's never too late to start pursuing your goals. In fact, the studies of people in hospice care, you probably know this too, are that um, they waited too long or never realized until it was too late that they had passed out programs for other people in life instead of being on stage themselves. They had lived somebody else's life. And you don't want to live or die with that regret. I'm convinced of that from all the research I've looked at. So get going now, whether you're 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 90, do it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, what do we know? We know that peak end theory how we remember our lives or anything is the peak experience and how it ended. Make the end of whatever you're doing an ending of your choice and make it something you're doing that's your goal, intrinsic, and that's hard. But trust me, the research supports this. Absolutely fascinating. I'm reminded of Confucius. He put it so well. He said, we all have two lives and our second life starts the day we realize we only have one life. And I think you're putting that very well, Caroline, you know, the idea really delighted to hear you reaffirm. It's one of my own key beliefs as a family doctor, you know, never stop starting. uh, If there's something you want to achieve in terms of improving your health and your well-being, none of us can change the past. But that is so important. What you just said, never stop starting. Confucius, I'd never heard that quote. I'm going to go write that one down. (laughs) But I do think we all have to ask ourselves also, when was the last time you did something for the first time? You know, novelty and zest get stripped out of our our lives as adults. That's why zest is a quality character strength is so high in children and so low in adults. We stop taking risks. We stop having fun. We stop being able to laugh at ourselves. We stop being able to be humbled by not being good at something. You know, when was the last time you did something for the first time? I think it's a great question. And I suppose I have to ask you, Caroline, you know, what hard goals are you setting for yourself right now? seeing as you've already achieved so much in your life, but it's about moving forward, isn't it, for all of us? So I'm sure you have some some plans. It is, it is. So two years ago, I became very sick with what I'm sure you know, cytomegalovirus. I was hospitalized oh. and it was touch and go for a few days. Adults don't usually get it. And I practiced that Dutch practice of Udwijden. I walked on a beach in windy, salty, cold air for miles to just ask myself, why am I here? Who do I want to spend time with and what makes me happy? And I've really narrowed it down to doing hard things in the company, increasingly of the clients I want to work with. And the hard things in front of me right now is I started a new division of my company last fall that took off. I have CEOs flying to my beach house here for strategy retreats, goal setting, being tutored in the science of goal setting and resetting strategy for themselves and their companies. That was a risk. It took off. I'm going after my second martial arts black belt right now. And it's in CUAQN. And I think all women should learn some self-defense. I just believe that women walk differently, look at people differently, carry themselves with a different amount of self-confidence. It's great for men too. But you know, we're in a me too moment here in in the United States, if not the world. And I do believe self, I do believe that that's important for women. So I'm going after that. And then I'm a nationally ranked master swimmer. And I would like to be in the top 10 the next time I swim in a meet. Right now I'm top 15. I'd like to be top 10. That's great. I lost my I lost my swimming career to my eating disorder. And so going back to it at the age of 40 was a really big deal. And that goes back to peak end theory. A lot of things I loved that were passions for me were taken from me 
by my secret life. But, you know, it's a part-time job to be bulimic, the stealing, the hiding, the vomiting, the whatever, whatever. And so I went back systematically one by one to piano, to swimming, to other things, to end them or be in them on my own terms. So that's one of the hard things I'm shooting for. So clearly you value health. I mean, obviously you work out a lot. I'm sure if you're, you know, a swimming master and you're setting hard goals, what else do you do to stay healthy, Caroline? What a good question. I meditate every day, usually mm-hmm. for five to seven minutes. I do either Tong Len meditation where you breathe in darkness and breathe out light. I learned that from a fellow MAP student, Don Tomasulo, who you may know of. He's written books on hope and other things. Also, loving kindness meditation based on Barbara Fredrickson's research. Yes. So I do that for a little while. I've had wonderful therapy. Really, I come from a borderline mother and a very abusive background with my father. And I've had to have a lot of therapy to to actually heal and to love myself and to not repeat. I'm going to call them sins that were visited upon me. So I've had really good therapy. I have great friends and I'm very selective about my friends and I do yoga. Oh, that's great. You know, I think that um, I laugh every day as much as I can. It seems to make a difference. That's fantastic. I do yoga as well. I must say I I find it wonderful for relaxation, for mind-body connection, for building awareness. And uh, I think it it is a great all-round habit for mind-body connection and and, and emotional well-being as well. Mm -hmm. Caroline, three take-homes for a resilient mind for our our listeners. What would you suggest for them to build their resilient bank account, to build mental strength, awareness, Mm -hmm. fortitude? I'll go back to hang around people who do hard things and learn from watching them. Even Angela Duckworth's research found that if you've got a low grit score at West Point or Military Academy, they were roomed with higher grit score cadets and it brought up their grit score. Be around people who are doing hard things. Secondly, change the channel in your brain when you're doing something that you might quit at or where you know there will be obstacles. You know, the Stoics talked about premeditatio malorum, premeditate the obstacles or the evil in front of you. I see that gritty people agree with themselves that they'll go to a picture or an image or a song, something in their head where they ask themselves, why not instead of why? Okay, that's two things. And the third would be up your well-being. Up your well-being with hope and optimism as much as possible. And lately, I'm talking a lot about awe. We're an awe-deprived society Mm. where we don't often get off screens and see things that are greater than us. And awe adds to the micro moments of well-being, so you get to that five-to-one ratio. So I'm a big supporter of being awestruck on a regular basis. Mm, Me too. And I mean, I I love to spend time in nature. We have wonderful gardens close to where I live, the Mount Congreve Gardens. And during lockdown, it became my creative laboratory where I did a lot of thinking and which came into being in terms of my Vitality Mark book, which came out last year. I think I agree with you 100%. I think, oh, such a powerful emotion to really inspire us and really connect us with that sense of who we are and that something bigger in the universe as well. Yeah. Can't wait to look up your gardens that you talked about before we started the interview, because I would imagine I'd be awestruck by what you've created and what 
you know, because nature does have that impact. I haven't read Dr. Keltner's new book on awe, the science of awe, but I but I know that there's a lot of good science on being out in nature or even what they call the overview effect with the mm. astronauts. And I'm coaching a CEO of a company that's putting people in space. And we talk a lot about the overview effect and how people are, are transformed by looking back at the earth. It's called earth gazing and suddenly realizing how fragile the earth is. So anyway, we're in agreement. Awe is a wonderful emotion. And they say that our children's generation has not been exposed to as much awe as our generations or grandparents' generations were because they're inside on screens and there's nothing awesome on a screen. You will never see anything awesome on a screen. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's the challenge and the opportunity for all of us that are in the positive health space is to encourage and inspire others to really search for these really health and well-being enhancing activities, whether it's cultivating grit, hard goals, to use your language, happiness, yeah. awe, and yeah. purpose, meaning, resilience, life, satisfaction. And finally, Caroline, can I ask you, for you, what's the meaning of life? I'm going to go back to what I heard at my 12-step meeting. You can't keep what you don't give away. I think the greatest happiness, the greatest enjoyment I get is from finding out what other people's goals are and doing what I can to believe in them and light them up and give them that ballast, that support, that love so that they begin to believe in themselves. That, to me, is the meaning of life. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. And if we learn nothing else from COVID, this is not a me world. It's a we world. And we better do it together. Well, Caroline, it's been such a pleasure to have you in the doctor's chair. It's been a real honor for me. Uh, keep leading. Keep inspiring others to create their best lives through cultivating grit, resilience, happiness, awe, and doing it from a sense and space of service and togetherness. Caroline, it's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure's been mine completely. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. <laughs>